0: I'm so out of breath. My goodness, <laughs> I don't know if that means I'm out of shape or if I just need to like run during practice or something. But who am I kidding? I don't run. Okay, um, we're gonna do a new song next, and um, we're really excited about it. So we hope you guys enjoy it. Um, it took a little while because we had to change some dumb things in the song, but it's great now. So you're welcome. Enjoy. <laughs>
1: Hello, everyone. I hope you can all hear me. Because uh, how about those
2: cheese?
1: There we go. I know I got some cheese fans out there, so I had to do that for you. And I just want to say congrats to all my cheese fans out there. It's been a long time waiting, so I know Corey's not going to say anything, so I had to. I feel like it was kind of uh, fate. He said that I wasn't going to be doing communion this week, and then I had a random email. I'm doing communion the week after the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So, congratulations to everyone. And uh, I'm kind of going to use these last couple weeks of Chiefs football to guide us in communion, so I'm going to try to tie it on together. So if you were paying attention at all during the playoffs this year, you can, uh, I'm sure you've seen the Chiefs, were not in a good position in every single game this postseason. And if you're not really a sports fan, um, I'll put it this way, they put themselves behind significantly in every single game um, by making bad decisions. So pretty much every single game they start off terribly by making stupid decisions, and just playing terribly. And I think that is a lot of us uh, sometimes in life. We feel as though we're ready uh, for the adventures ahead of us. We come out of our parents' houses, or, or maybe we move to a new city and um, get married, and uh, we feel like uh, we can do it, that we're ready, and we're ready for this new uh, walk in life. Um, and then life sometimes smacks us right in the face, right off the bat. We make stupid decisions. We become friends uh, with people who influence us poorly. Uh, we get in harmful relationships, uh, maybe drop out of school. Could be a plentiful of things, uh, but we make bad decisions that draw us away from God. Jesus, as uh, just as the Chiefs versus the Titans got punched right in the mouth and went down 24-0, and then versus the Titans went 17-7, down 17-7, and then down 20-10 with seven minutes left in the Super Bowl, Ah, They made some boneheaded decisions. And you know what? Then Pat Mahomes happened. He went out and found, uh, fought for us as Chiefs fans so that we could win a Super Bowl. And just as the Chiefs had Patrick Mahomes to take them to the promised land of winning the Super Bowl, we have Jesus to fight and claw for us to take us to the heavenly promised land. No matter the decisions we've made, uh, we've always got Jesus. We've always got Jesus' sacrifice where in Isaiah it says, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our inequities, then punished, uh, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. Uh, so we can uh, run back to the one who saved us from ourselves and our past wrongdoings. A lot of people are calling MV Pat the Savior of KC, but we've got the real Savior who died on a cross so that we Um, make, so when we make those boneheaded decisions, uh, we still have the love and acceptance of Jesus. No matter how uh, you started, you've never, you're never out of the fight, race, or game, and you have Jesus on your team in life, um, so that we can be with him for eternity. John 6, 35 says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will go hungry, and whoever bleeds, will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So as we eat this bread and drink the juice, let us remember his sacrifice, and that whatever we've done, we can run back to his uh, embracing arms of grace. So here at Real Life, we practice open communion, um, and so we invite all of you uh, to take communion. All that we ask is that you are a believer in Christ when you do so. Um, So you can... uh, we're going to start a uh, song here in a second. So as we start that, you can uh, go to the uh, either the sides or the back. There's going to be um, some juice and some bread for you to take communion, either with yourself or with uh, your family members or friends. So let us pray. Lord, thank you for the cheese victory last weekend. But more importantly, thank you for being there for us when we are down. When we've made wrong decisions, turning away from you, you never leave us. And I want to thank you for never ending your pursuit for us. Thank you for your sacrifice, and when we take communion this morning, let us remember that sacrifice. Amen.
3: Could you do something for me uh, for just a, a moment would you just uh clap really good we need a good clap Woo! thank you you don't know why we're clapping um but look uh julie who has run our slides over here say, wave your hand julie say hi to everybody. there's julie uh julie's been running the screen for the last i don't know 50 years or something and uh and, and she was um, out of town and was late getting here this morning, and so, uh, so I sat there to do that. That is really hard. So thank you, Julie, <laughs> for taking care of that. That's, uh, whew, I'm glad I don't have to do that every week. I'd much rather be up here. That's, uh, that's good. So um, thanks for joining us here at Real Life this morning. I'm Corey, and I get to serve the church by being the pastor, and uh, so glad to have you with us this morning Uh, while Easton is working with that. I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure he'll figure it out. Uh, In just a moment, we're going to receive our offering, and I want to share with you something that I noticed uh, in faith, and, and that's this... We have kind of a paradox in faith. As Christians... A lot of what we do doesn't make sense when we think about it in terms of the world, raising our hands during worship, uh, turning the other cheek, giving money to the work of the church. But the Bible is full of examples of this paradox where we become first by being last, where we gain by giving, where we win by loving and praying for our enemies. Proverbs 11.24 says that one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. In 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, it says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So does giving lead to having more and not less? Can we actually gain through being content and not by chasing money? Well, in my life and the lives of many people here at Real Life, the answer is yes. That's the beauty of this generosity paradox. I've never met anyone who regretted being generous in their life. When we give, we're satisfied with what we have. When we're content with what we have, we end up having more. So I hope that you have found that in your own life, and um, we want to invite you this morning to to give as God leads you to do that. You can give cash or check in the buckets that are going to come by in just a moment, or you can go to reallifecc.us, and you can click on that orange icon uh, down in the bottom right-hand corner, and if you're joining us on uh, Facebook, you can do that as well. Just go to reallifecc.us, click on that orange icon, and you can give that way. Let me pray, and then the guys are going to come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you give us. God, your word is is full of opportunities and expectations for us as your people to be content with what you have given to us. God, that doesn't mean that, that um, that we can't work hard, that we can't climb the ladder and do more, but it just means that at every stage of life, that we're content with where you have us, that we trust you to provide the things that we need instead of ourselves or our job or our bank accounts. And so God, we just thank you for being a God that continually provides and watches out for us and and, and a God that that has turned the world on its ear um, with the paradox of faith. We could do things that in this world would end in ruin and, and yet you give us a great reward for that. So God, would you just bless us as we give to you? that's a little better. Something's going wonky with the system, I don't know what's going on. We'll figure it out. Part of the problem, uh, or the challenge, it's not a problem, it's a challenge when uh, we get a limited amount of time in the building, and so we pack all of this sound stuff in every week, and it just doesn't give us a lot of time to tweak things and get things just right, but Easton will keep working on it. Uh, Thanks for being here this morning. We're going to kick off a brand new message series uh, today called Reconcilable differences so i've been working on this series and I, I i went into the dining room the other night and um my wife was in there uh cooking or something and i i said honey i got a question um i said over the last like we're, this is our we're going to celebrate 30 years this year marriage and so i just i said over the last 30 years um i hope that the reason you haven't stayed married to me for that long is just your commitment to god like, she's a godly woman. Like, I, I hope that it's not just, like, God, te- God told me I got to stay with him, so. So I hope it's not just your commitment to God that has kept you married to me. And and she very quickly, like, she didn't miss a beat. She just said, not all the time. Yeah. Marriage is, uh, marriage is hard. It's, it's difficult. And whether you've been married for just a short amount of time or you've been married for a long time, marriage takes work. It's difficult. And, and even as things change in our lives and, and in society as a whole, we've noticed some of those changes. Like, I think back in the day, my parents, the biggest fight that they had, really, the biggest uh, area of competition was space in the bathroom. Um, Dad used to get up really early before everybody else to get ready and get gone before mom got up and, and took over the bathroom. Today, we have what seems like bigger issues. Today, it's not just counter space in the bathroom anymore. Today, we find husbands and wives competing over gender roles within the household. Our society, and sometimes even Christians... I think, are upset with God for creating two genders and then assigning different strengths and weaknesses to those gender roles based on, based on those roles that he set out. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you must remember that while the world doesn't recognize God's sovereignty over his creation, God made everything. And, and so he gets to set the rules, right? He gets to be the one that says, this is how things are going to be. And for a lot of people, they don't recognize that sovereignty of God. But as believers, we should. And we've got to understand that when we fight God's design in the creation, we're really forgetting his deity. When we fight his design, we're forgetting his deity. And, and when it comes to marriage, like everything else in our lives, every relational thing, every functional thing, like I talked about in giving, God has turned things upside down with this faith paradox, but in every area of our lives, when we honor God's design, we're honoring him as God. When we refuse to follow his design, we're fighting we're forgetting his deity. We're saying, in effect, that we know better than God. So real life, when we talk about marriage and we talk about relationships, we're committed to honoring Jesus, to submitting to him, even when we think we know better. And honestly, there's a lot of times where, where I think, man, the Bible kind of just... It seems a little backward, okay? It seems a little old school. It seems like it's just not fit for some things today, and and yet I have to go, but wait a minute, there's a God who created everything, and he knows a whole lot more than I do. I find comfort in the fact that I can rely on something other than myself when I'm looking for right or wrong or trying to figure out what to do. Throughout this series, we'll be looking at what we might call biblical marriage, a man and a woman, but we recognize that these principles and processes that we're going to talk about could really be applied to nearly any relationship that we might find ourselves in. And so if you're a wife or a mother or an employee or boss or husband or father or grandparent or stepparent, or you're just a relative, you will find helpful tools over the next three weeks to honor God in your relationships so that you look more like Jesus in your daily life. And that's exactly how we're going to kick off this series today, how to look more like Jesus in the marriage relationship. And the first way is to simply accept the order that God gave us. Now, I want to tell you right off the bat here that there's going to be a a feeling maybe within some of you to already be tuning out, right? Like, Like, oh no. Here's one of those Bible things again, and I'm not going to listen to this because I don't agree with this, or I don't, just, I'm just going to ask you this morning to give me a little bit of grace because I think by the end, this is going to play out different than you think it is. So hang with me. I believe that God created the world with order. And part of the reason he created the world with order is to free us from things that we weren't designed by him to deal with. Instead of accepting his order, though, in our lives, oftentimes we spend a great deal of time fighting others for what God gave them instead of operating in what he's given us. We might apply the uh, grass is always greener metaphor here a lot of times in our lives where we, where we fight what God has given other people instead of operating in what he's given us. Before we jump into the rest of the talk, I, I want to give you um, the bottom line today, though, because I, I want you to hold this in your mind as we go through the rest of the message. I want you to think about this, because this is going to affect like everything else we talk about. So here's the bottom line for this morning. Remember this. Healthy couples, healthy relationships, healthy families, healthy Healthy work associates, healthy couples complement each other. They don't compete with each other. See, I think that God created an order for households that free them to function at their full potential. When we follow God's design, it makes for a healthier and happier home for the couple, for the kids, for the family, I think even for the community. But when we compete in those relationships for attention, for affection, for position, it creates a hostile home instead of a healthy home. So before we take a closer look at the order God created in the home, I want to read to you from what the Apostle Paul said about the spiritual home created by Jesus and the church. So Paul said this, Christ is the head of the church. It's like his body, which he is the savior of. And so the church, as his body, submits to him. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. He cleansed her by the washing with water through the word in order to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ Jesus loves his church like it's his own spiritual body. He feeds and he cares for it. And individuals within the church, you and me, we make up that body. And so he cares for us like he cares for himself. This is the picture that God gives us of Christ and his church. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And Julie, skip the next slide. Just stay on this one for a second. I'm going to ask you a couple questions about what you see on the screen. And, and you don't have to answer out loud, okay? But just in your mind, think of what you think the answer might be. Do you feel sad for the church's position in this metaphorical relationship? When we, when we read that and we read what Jesus does for the church, does it make you go, oh, that's sad? Do you think Jesus is oppressing the church in order to elevate himself? Is he putting the church down in in order to lift himself up? To me, as I read this, I think this is exactly how I would expect Jesus to function with his bride, the Bible calls it, the church. Jesus is the head, loves, and cares for the church, and the church submits to him. The church is treasured, and honored Jesus wants the best for the church even at the expense of himself Jesus isn't elevating himself he's actually elevating the church now while this while this sentiment this is accurate scripture it's not the way it was originally presented by Paul see Paul wanted us to see the relationship between Jesus and his church And so he uses a metaphor to help us understand it. So Paul is writing to the church in in Ephesus, and they're having some struggles, and, and he says, look, there's a relationship between Jesus and the church. And in order for you to understand this spiritual relationship that exists between Jesus and the church, I want to help you understand that by talking about something that you know pretty well, and that's the relationship between husbands and wives. And so when Paul originally wrote this out, He said, in order for you to understand Jesus and the church, it might be helpful for you to look at it in terms of husbands, which are represented by Jesus or are representative of Jesus, and wives who are representative of the church. And immediately we go, wait a minute, that changes how I feel about this verse. When we talk about the church submitting to Jesus... And then we go, wait a minute, husbands are representative of Jesus, and so wives are representative of the church, and so the wife should submit to the husband, and we go, wait a minute, no, I don't think I like that. Like, it's fine when they're talking about Jesus and the church, but if you're talking about me, that's a problem. Here's why I think we struggle with following scriptures. Not this this one, but lots of them. Our instinct isn't to obey God's order of things, Our instinct is to oppose God's order. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, right? Eve opposed God's order. You go to Cain and and, and Abel, and, and you go to King David and Saul. All of these people throughout the scripture, you find people who are opposing God's order. And every time that happens, things go wrong. There's problems, Within the marriage relationship, within really any relationship, sin will always seek to elevate self. Sin will always seek to elevate self. You ever wonder why Eve was the first one to be tempted? Cain then killed his brother. Saul tried to kill David. Over and over, we find stories where people are not comfortable with God's order of things, and so they try to elevate self because sin is present. Since the beginning of time, God's perfect plan has been perverted by sin. What was supposed to help a man and woman become all that God created each of them to become, that has been polluted. We're so enlightened that we've moved past God's perfect plan called marriage. In fact, we've come to a point in our society where, uh, for many, we've rejected the differences of men and women claiming sameness, as though the ideal situation in any household would be two, or maybe more, asexual automatons who could be both husband and wife should the situation call for it. That we're all just equal, and we could all just be placed, pulled in and put, stuck in and pulled out, and it's all equal, and it never matters who's there or what's going on. And if you follow that line of thinking to the end, you'd have to go, look, the idea is that we're all the same, that there's no difference between us in any way. That's just not the case. Satan's plan from the beginning has been to turn everything that God said was good into something bad. So we recognize that there's a a force, there's a power at work in our lives that that seeks to take God's design and subvert it, to turn it upside down. There's there's an action in our lives, there's a person who's trying in our lives to turn the good things that God created into something bad. See, sin corrupts God's standard, always. It's always been that way. So let's read Paul's actual appeal to husbands and wives to look more like Jesus and function as an image of Jesus and the church. And as as we read this, I highlighted the parts about Jesus and the church because I want you to remember as we read this, this is not a verse about husbands and wives, These verses aren't about husbands and wives and and I've preached on it like that and I've heard lots of other preachers preach on it like that but I've changed my mind this week. This passage is about Jesus and the church and there's some application for husbands and wives. So I've highlighted it to to keep us honest here as we read it. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 21 it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I want to, just let me stop right there really quickly and and just say this is the part of the passage that deals directly with you and I as husbands and wives. Okay, there's no metaphor here. There's no example here. This is the command part of these verses. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He goes on. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, let me look at that. That was one, two, three verses about wives and their role. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm going to keep track of how many verses there are. That's one. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Twice as many verses about men there. Let's finish. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Paul ends this series of verses with a main point he's trying to make. He says, look, This relationship between Jesus and the church, it's a profound mystery. Does that give you the sense that we'll be able to understand it clearly and easily? It's a profound mystery. He says, look, I know that I've I've mentioned, I've talked about husbands and wives, but what I'm really talking about is Christ and the church, is Jesus and the church, which means that these verses are not about husbands and wives. They're a metaphor for Jesus and the church, not the other way around. And so then how do we interpret this section of Scripture honestly? And That's the struggle. So I'm going to tell you where I've landed this week. Here's what we can apply to our lives um, from this passage about the kingdom of God. Submitting to your spouse doesn't mean you're subordinate in the relationship. It means you're stable in the relationship. Let that sink in. Submitting to your spouse doesn't mean you're subordinate. Remember, I told you the only command that Paul gives in this passage of Scripture is the very beginning, verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The command is not about being subordinate. It's about being submissive. And, and this rela- in a relationship situation, that makes your relationship more stable. Genesis is pretty clear that Adam came first, and then Eve was created from him. But not once in the Bible that I could see is a man made superior over a woman. I would argue that even in the New Testament, there are some places where we might look and go, oh man, I don't know. That's kind of weird. I would say that even there, the writers seem where they seem to suppress women. It is absolutely a cultural caveat and not a universal truth. you got to remember that when the Bible was written, it was written in a time when women were property. We don't understand what that's like for for most of us. We've never grown up or lived in in a society like that. But back then, and even back in our history, not all that long ago, women didn't have the right to vote. They couldn't own property. Women in the New Testament... Women in in the old days like that, in ancient times, they were seen as property, and a husband could do whatever he wanted to with his wife. In fact, in some cultures even today, we've heard the, the news that there are those cultures and situations where women are still property and that the man has the right to kill his wife if she offends him in some way. She does something that he doesn't think she should do. But that's not what the Bible says. Let me explain it this way. As my kids were were growing up when they were um, much younger, my oldest son, Trevor, got to do things that my youngest son, TJ, was not allowed to do. If if you've got kids, you've got more than one kid, you're going to see this play out in your own lives. The older child gets to do things. Trevor got to stay up late and watch movies. Sometimes we'd even go to bed and he'd still be up. He got to do things and go out with his friends and whatever, and we didn't keep track of him and ask him constantly, where are you and what are you doing? But we sure did that with TJ. TJ had a bedtime. He had to go to bed early. He had to get up, and and he'd say, how come Trevor gets to do this or that? There's a really simple reason. He got born first. And it doesn't mean that we loved him more. It doesn't mean that he was better or that we we thought he was more responsible. It just means that he was older. He came first because of his birth order. Because of man's creation order, Paul says he's the head. Not because he's better. Look, if you're a wife, you know it's not because he's better. But he came first. There's an order to God's creation. There's a design, but he doesn't respond to us as husband and wife, as man and woman. God doesn't respond to us in relation to that order. He just says, look, this is how it is. Man came first and then woman. Man is first not because God loves us more, but because we were created first. Man and woman are not subordinate to one another. The Bible gives us a couple reasons that we can know that, and I'm not going to go through them all, but if you want to jump over to reallifecc.us, click on the My Message Notes link, you'll find all of these scriptures listed there. But look, the Bible tells us pretty clearly that we're not subordinate to one another, but that men and women are equal according to God. There's a list of scriptures there. There's lots more. So just a few that I found real quickly. We are equal in God's eyes. Secondly... God says over and over that there's not to be favoritism. There's not to be favoritism. In fact, one passage says, "God hates favoritism." So how could the Bible tell us that we're equal and that God hates favoritism and then God go, "Oh, I like my man better." That's not what the Bible says. So as we read through this text about submitting, we think about that word, we're submitting can't be about being subordinate it can't be men and women are equal and God hates favoritism so can we just agree and maybe even for the purposes of the rest of this message can we just agree that submitting and being subordinate are not the same thing they're not equal to each other being able to submit means your relationship is stable If you see submitting to your spouse as being subordinate, there is always going to be conflict in your relationship. I'm not subordinate to anybody. I can do what I want. There's always going to be conflict if you see it that way. But if you are able to willingly submit to your spouse, I think it indicates that you have a stable relationship. I'm going to explain that a little more. There have been times in my life where I have thought about something and come to a decision and said, this is what we're going to do. I've gone to my wife and said, here, look, I've thought about it, prayed about it, whatever, this is what we're going to do, and she says, I don't think that's a good idea. Now, I've said that much nicer than she probably said it. But she's made it clear that she doesn't agree with me. Like, Like, I feel strongly that that's not what we're supposed to do. And I've submitted to that. i said, okay. There have been times where, where she's come and said, I think we ought to do this. And, and I've said, no, I don't think so. And she's submitted to me. That doesn't mean that one or the other of us are, are subordinate. It, it means that we have a stable relationship. And we can have those discussions. And we can have those disagreements. And yet still complement each other instead of be in conflict. See, submission, as we read about it in Ephesians 5, Submission looks different for men and women. It's not subordinate, but it's different when we submit. See, Paul starts out by saying that men and women are to submit to one another, but then as he gives an example of that submission, it looks different for each. So let's jump in and look at that. For the woman, or remember, the woman in this context represents the church. We're a metaphor, women are a metaphor. For the church, submission looks like following. Do you remember when you were a kid playing follow the leader? Somebody'd be in charge, right? And for a while, they'd get to lead and everybody else would follow them. When I was a kid, I was always trying to play follow the leaders, always trying to do something that the people behind me would be too afraid to do. That usually got me into some situations that were pretty stupid. <laughs> But that was the idea. I'm going to do something, I'm going to jump off of something or into something that the people behind me are going to go, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. The Bible, it talks about following the leader. The leader is Jesus. It says that Jesus isn't trying to do something that, that we wouldn't want to follow, he's trying to get us to follow him. And so the church follows Jesus because Jesus is constantly encouraging the church um, even when we don't think we can do it even when we don't think we have the strength or the money or the know-how the Bible is full of examples of Jesus trying to convince us that in him and with the help of Holy Spirit we can do anything Jesus even went so far as to say whoever believes and we could read follows there whoever follows me will do the works I have been doing and even greater things. So Jesus' goal is to get the church to follow him. He wants us to follow him, to follow his example, to do the things that he's done. And when the church trusts Jesus, we follow Jesus, even when we don't know how it's going to turn out. Let me give you an example. I told you at the beginning of the year, we made our Christmas offering goal, we surpassed that, and and, we have put a little over $30,000 into savings for our building fund. I emailed our architect this last week, and I said, hey, I want to start getting together so that we can begin working on plans. By the end of this year, I want to have a architectural rendering of what our new church might look like. We don't have anywhere near the money to do that. Like, we can get the plans, but we're a long way away, okay, financially, from buying property and putting a building up. But I think as we follow Jesus and he says to us, look, I've got this, that he'll provide what's needed when it's needed. And so we're going to take steps of, of faith, not because we have it all figured out, but because we're following the one who does. Paul says that when a woman submits to her husband, she follows him. Or as it states in verse 33, she respects him. Not because he's always right, but because she's showing reverence for Jesus. So that's the, that's the example, okay? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ladies, if you're married, if you're wives, submission looks like following your husband. But I want you to pay close attention to this, because a man, who's a metaphor for Jesus, submits in a completely different way. A woman submits to her husband by following him. A husband submits to his wife by favoring her. When husbands submit, it looks like love. Unlike the woman who is encouraged to follow, husbands are to favor their wives above themselves, just like Jesus did the church. And then there's a whole big list of examples for that to happen. Verses 25 to 27, it says, The man loves his wife by sacrificing himself for her. We understand that Jesus gave himself up for the benefit of the church. He went to the cross for the church. Husbands, we need to be better at this. We need to be better at sacrificing for our wives, sacrificing our time, our energy, our hobbies, our comfort to benefit them. Now, I think um, I think in this age of whatever, enlightenment, or renaissance, whatever you want to call it, I think men, a lot of, in a lot of ways, have come a long way in that.
0: But I often
3: see still, a man still has some ideas. Look, I want to come home from work or whatever, and there better be food on the table. And if I want to buy a toy, I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to do what I want. and I'm going to. We still have that the example in scripture for a follower of Jesus who's a husband is to sacrifice our wants, our needs, our comfort, our benefit, our hobbies, that's a big one for our wives. What could you do for her that she would enjoy? See a lot of times we say we oh, let's go out or whatever, but but I don't want to go there. Or um We'll say, hey, do you want to watch something? I don't want to watch that. Chick flick, whatever. No, you watch Marvel with me, or Men, or whatever. Um, but you can watch Anne with an E by yourself. So, so we do that. Like little things, guys, we, we do that. We need to sacrifice for our wives. We need to favor her above our own comf- comfort desires and and wants okay let me move on secondly paul says the man loves his wife by serving her physically jesus served the church by caring for its physical needs feeding and caring for it like his own buddy husbands we need to serve our wives instead of expecting them to serve us which let's be honest most of us do we need to serve her guess what that might look like you might have to do the dishes clean the house or watch the kids or do something that will make her life easier. And I'm not saying you have to do it all the time, but I'm saying it better be a sacrifice. If you're not sacrificing, like if it didn't cost you something, it isn't worth anything, and she's not buying it. All right, the last thing he says is this. The man loves his wife by standing by her relationally. Terry told us last week uh, when he filled in for me one time, he said, Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. And so as we look at this passage, this verse starts out Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's a quote from Genesis, right? It's the very beginning. Before there were moms and dads and children and siblings and aunts and uncles and grandmas, God said, A man will leave his father and mother. And Adam and Eve didn't know what a father and mother was, and they'll be united to his wife, and the two will become one. But as we look through that passage, we go, what's the therefore? And I don't think it's about husbands and wives. I think Paul is saying, look, therefore, because of the relationship between Jesus and the church, because of that relationship, a husband will leave his father and mother and clean, or be united to his wife. Here's what I mean. Jesus gave himself up for his church. He did Everything in the church relates. You guys, you want to take this passage seriously? Jesus did everything, and the church did nothing. So, if we want to say that this is about men and women, you better be prepared to do everything: change the diapers, do the laundry, do the like, take care of it all. Because that's the real example, right? Jesus did everything. The church does nothing. The only thing we as a church do is follow Jesus. And that's a willing submission. We willingly follow him. I think because of that relationship between Jesus and the church... Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, just like Jesus has been united to the church. And Jesus started the church, right? He he was married to the church. The church is called the bride of Christ. This passage says that Jesus did everything. He cleans her, he washes her, he prepared her, he makes her holy, something she couldn't do on her own. He sacrifices for, for her and... We know that in the end, when Jesus comes back, do you know what he's coming back for? He's coming back for the church. He's coming back for the church. He can't stand to not be with us. And so Paul says, look, just like Jesus loves the church and has done everything for her, husbands, you're to leave your father and mother and you're to be united with her wife. You're supposed to want to be with her. Give everything for her. Love her. Does it making sense? We need to stand up for our wives and make sure that they know we love them, that we are happy to be doing life with them. Let me wrap up. Paul ends with a reminder again. He says, "I'm talking about the relationship between Jesus and the church. This whole section is about Jesus and his bride, the church, but the same ideas can apply to the husband-wife relationship. Wives, when you follow your husbands, you're respecting him. Let me tell you what happens when when you respect your husband, and I can speak to this because I'm a guy, I understand this. Wives, when you respect your husband, when you follow them in your lives, when you come come, when instead of competing with them, you compliment them, do you know what happens? It gives us courage. It gives us courage. We feel like we can go out and accomplish the things that the world throws at us. See, I think as a man, we feel like we're in competition everywhere we go and in everything we do. We're in competition with other men. When you get to be my age, you're in competition with men a lot younger than you. I did win a racquetball game last Tuesday night as the oldest person against those two. We feel like we're in in competition at work. We're in competition with our friends and our, our neighbors. We're in competition. We feel like, I don't know, society, whatever you want to blame, we feel like we're in competition all the time. We do not want to be in competition at home. When you show respect to us, when you follow us, it gives us courage to face all of those other battles outside the doors. And when that happens, you keep us going, create a stable relationship that we can find comfort and strength in. Husbands, when you favor your wife, you're loving her. You're giving her confidence in herself. I don't think there's probably a woman out there who doesn't want to feel like her husband loves her completely and shows that love by sacrificing and serving and standing up for her. And I think if we do that as husbands, that our wives will have confidence, because I think that's what a lot of wives, women, struggle with see there's a status there's a standard outside in the world that says women need to look like this and act like this and talk like this watch the halftime show last week and what i saw aside from oh that was terrible i saw j-lo's 50 years old and every other woman who's 50 years goes i don't look like that guys when we love our wives When we sacrifice and serve and stand up for her, we give her confidence in herself and create a stable relationship that she can find comfort and strength in. But the only way that you can consistently and confidently respect and love your spouse is if you stop dwelling on your differences and start submitting to your savior. Look, if you've had trouble in your marriage, if you've considered alternatives, if if you're on the verge of an affair because you can't get over the differences, listen listen to this. You don't look like Jesus when you leave. You're a believer in Jesus. You don't look like Jesus when you leave. The Bible says that We understand love because in part of this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that he committed himself to us, and we just read how he sacrifices and he serves and he he wants to be with us. He wants that union to take place. Scripture says, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you so when we leave in that marriage relationship, we do not look like Jesus. I said a few weeks ago that families weren't for us, they were for others. But the example of our family as, as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, the example of our family should lead other people to Jesus. And the same is true of our relationships here. We don't look like Jesus when we leave. Dads and moms, friends and family, husbands and wives, you don't look like Jesus when you leave. And I'm not saying there aren't biblical reasons to leave, because there absolutely are, and and I'll be there to fight for you. But leaving has become the lazy way to fix a problem. It doesn't show respect to your husband. It doesn't show love to your wife. And it sure doesn't show reverence for the Savior. So husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Submit to each other for the sake of Jesus. What would happen if we started voluntarily submitting instead of angrily fighting? What would happen in our relationships if we really came to this point where we understood that we're not in competition, but that we were designed to complement each other? If you're a husband, love your wife and give her confidence in your relationship. If you're a wife, respect your husband and give him courage. In your relationship. In every relationship that you have, family, friend, co worker, neighbor, love like Jesus so you can look like Jesus. Next week, we're going to continue this series in a message called um, How to Have an Affair. It's kind of like those shows on TV How to Get Away with Murder. We're going to talk about what happens when you don't plan, you plan to fail. I hope that you'll join me next week, and maybe you'll bring somebody who's struggling in their marriage or with relationship or something going on in their lives. Because look, every irreconcilable difference can be reconciled when we stop focusing on our differences and we start working towards reconciliation. I hope we'll do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you give us something in your word that that we can hold on to something that we can go back to where we're not just relying on our own ideas or what we think is best but we can go back to your design of things god i thank you that in the examples paul writes about between jesus and the church we know that that jesus is saying look jesus loves the church no matter what we're going to sing about that in, in just a second that no matter what jesus loves you and if And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I hope you understand that Jesus loves you incredibly. He sacrificed for you. He served you in your whole life, and he wants to be united with you in eternity forever. And our relationship, husband and wife relationship, is to be a picture of that relationship between Jesus and the church. And so, God, I would pray that as husbands and wives... As friends and, and neighbors, as moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, as aunts and uncles, we would, we would say in our own relationships, no matter what, I'm going to stick by you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to respect you, no matter what. God help us to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Let's stand up as we sing our last song today. <laughs> everyone. Thank you.